Hey everyone, my name is Antonia Mandulia and you're listening to That Hockey Chick. Can people make up their mind? That is the title of this week's episode and it comes from many things that I've noticed over the week. You know, people suddenly flopping on the North Division, coach firings coming out of literally every corner, people hating on the Leafs after two straight losses, which is the first time actually that that has happened this season, and so much more. I feel like there's so many things that are out there right now and there's so many differing opinions and people flip-flopping and it's just like, make up your mind already. So we're going to talk about a few of those things and kind of figure out where everyone stands and where people should stand. First though, um, I'm sure that we are all aware on Thursday night, it was announced that Wayne Gretzky's dad, Walter Gretzky, had passed away. You know, a lot, a lot of people knew him as Walter Gretzky, but all of Canada knew him as Canada's hockey dad. And just wanted to send out condolences to the Gretzky family. And, you know, over the past few days, we're hearing all of the stories that a lot of the sports anchors had to share about Walter Gretzky and, and how kind he was. And, you know, not only did he teach the greatest hockey player how to play hockey but he was so much more than that he was so much more than the sport and you can tell by all those stories he was just an amazing human being and it's a really big loss for the hockey world but also for Canada as a country so condolences to the Gretzky family we also saw Brent Seabrook he announced his retirement this past week he said that it was due to a bunch of lingering injuries that he had that are preventing him from playing any further so congrats to him on his retirement and his amazing career with the Blackhawks. Another big thing that happened this week, Tom Wilson was suspended seven games for boarding on Carlo uh, from the Bruins. This game happened this past weekend. You know, I watched the hit and it, it was a bad hit. Whenever obviously a player is up against the boards, I'm sure like you expect that you're going to be hit, no question about that. But when I was re-watching it, it was clear that he knew what he was doing and he knew he was aiming for his head. The reason I say that is because when, if you re-watch the, the play, when he was going into the boards, the way that he held his hands, he held his hands pretty high up and when he was getting going to the boards. And I feel like when you're holding your arms up that high, you should kind of expect to hit the guy's head. I mean, you can kind of, you have proper hand-eye coordination. You can probably tell where you're gonna make contact on the person that's up against the boards and even like his eyes like if you watch like where he was looking and it was 100% intentional and I agree with the suspension if not it should be more and if this was a one-time thing you know a player this is their first suspension and whatnot then okay maybe maybe it should have been a couple games and I know there wasn't a penalty called on the play either I don't know how there was not a penalty called on the play I do agree with the suspension I think it should have been more because of his rap sheet Wilson has been suspended countless times before he's known to make hits like this and he's known to possibly have the intent to injure when he goes to make a hit and he seems to never learn the the amount of penalties and suspensions this guy's had for almost the same thing every time he seems to never learn I mean if you want to make a hit on a guy sure go ahead that's part of the sport but make sure it's clean. And especially in his case, he's been an NHL player for eight seasons. I'm pretty sure he knows how to make a proper hit. You've been playing in the NHL for that long and you kind of have a reputation of being a guy that's tough and a guy that hits, which is fine. It's it's good. I mean, I wish the Leafs had a, a player that was more like that, but you, you're labeled as a tough guy. You make hits. That's fine. But you got to know how to do it properly. And he's been in the NHL for eight seasons. He's been suspended a lot of times. I think... By now, he should know how to make a clean hit, and if not, then try not to injure the other person. So, I don't know. I think he needs to cool it. I think, you know, hitting, like I said, should definitely have a place in the game, but not like that. And you need to know how to hit properly before you go and make hits, because that could have been a lot worse. Moving on, though, trouble in paradise for Montreal Canadiens. They fired their goalie coach this week. Carey Price has not been doing well recently, but can you blame that on the goalie coach? Price has had a lot of success in the past. Of course, we know this. He's one of the best goalies in the league, and even in the beginning of the season, he was doing amazing. But I don't think it's the goalie coach that was necessarily the issue. I think it was more the team in front. Because at the beginning of the season, the team in front, they were scoring, they were winning, they were doing great, and Price was as well. Now, when they had their little, they had their slide little fallout that they had, 
the team in front was not scoring they were not doing well and in relation price was not doing well so i don't think it's necessarily the goalie's fault now this could have been a move where it was uh similar to the coach firing where it was more so the attempt to get the team fired up and try and almost like starting to clean house and getting rid of you know the bad uh, attitude and getting rid of and trying to get out of the play that they've that they've had and try to insert something new so it could have been that when you're on a slide like this you know I understand that the team has to try and make as many changes as they can to shift the overall negative attitude especially in the Canadians locker room the negative attitude that's been swirling around there and that negative atmosphere and the culture that they have now I, I'm curious to see how many coaches and how many people on their coaching staff need to be fired before it's the GM's turn. We talked about him last week and now he's been there for way too long and I think his time will be up after this season. But And continuing on with the North Division, there was another North Division firing. Calgary, It was Calgary this time. They fired their coach. I kind of understand why they did this, but it's still a little bit questionable. I mean, obviously, I think always a GM firing or a coach's firing is always going to be questionable. But basically, in Calgary's case, they're fifth place. They're four behind the Canadians. It's still a tight race. I mean, four points isn't a big cushion. I mean, even the, the Leafs cushion that they have built, I believe it's around seven points. It's a good cushion to have, of course, but it's still not secure. I mean, you've seen the slides that Montreal has gone on and you see the win streak that Ottawa has gone on. They're their success over the past week or so you should never count a team out and yes you can build yourself a cushion as much as possible but there's always that risk that something will happen and you're only four behind Montreal there's it's still a tight race and this was after so the firing came after they dropped a couple to Ottawa one to the Leafs and a couple to the Oilers and it actually came right after they played Ottawa again same as Canadians so I don't know Ottawa is causing a lot of teams to fire their coaches lately which is pretty funny so Calgary's record is 11 12 and 2 you know it's obviously it's not that impressive but it's also not horrible considering where they are in the standings I'm assuming they don't want to take the risk of missing the playoffs and right now they're only two points out they're so close you know you have that feeling you're so close to to making the playoffs they feel like they need that reassurance to tell them that they're going to be making a serious push and they felt Ward was not the suitable coach to do so. So they hired Suter. He's been out of the coaching game for four seasons, which kind of raises a bit of concern, but he has been with Calgary before, so I don't know if they thought the familiarity would be good. The game has changed a lot even in the past four seasons since he's been here. I don't know if adding him is going to give them the safe reassurance that that they're looking for. I mean, we'll have to wait and see, but I, I don't know. That's a coach that's been out four seasons. I mean, you have Julian that was just fired. There's so many other coaches out there that you know, have only been out of the game for a couple months or a season at most. I'm assuming it's the familiarity that they wanted in Suter. I'm not 100% sure. I mean, it would suck to mix the playoffs by just two points so I'm assuming they're trying to prevent the slip and they're trying to make that serious push and actually continuing with the North Division this past week I've seen a lot of discussion on the level of difficulty that's present in each of the divisions and I do not like what I've been seeing you know this is this is one of the main points where I was talking about how people they can't make up their mind I'm going to talk about this later with uh, two guests we're going to have a lengthy discussion on this when we take a break from tone later on but basically, everyone went from saying the North is going to be the toughest and the best division in the league this season. And now everyone's saying that it's the worst and it's the easiest division. And it has to do, I'm convinced, in large part with the success of the Leafs over everyone else. At the beginning of the season, Montreal was at the top. Montreal was doing great. And everyone was saying, you know, this is the toughest division. This is the best, best division. Now Montreal slipped. Now the Leafs are at the top and everyone's switching their opinion and saying that it's the Leafs are only at the top because it's the easiest division wait until they go and face Boston and Tampa where where does this proof where does this evidence where does this, where do these opinions come from because it doesn't make any sense and if the Leafs were at the bottom of the division instead they would be saying oh wow like the Leafs are all the way at the bottom how like they suck how is that possible and now they're at the top and people are saying doesn't mean anything. A little bit of controversy there. Don't agree with it. People need to make up their minds. But I will get the opinion of two of my guests later on and they will they will say what they think. So that's all for the kind of week recap on everything that's been going on around the league. Coming up next, I will be discussing the games that the Leafs played against the Oilers and the Canucks. So stay tuned. 
So this week for the Leafs started off amazing against the Oilers. Finished off not so great against the Canucks. I think we all expected it to go opposite and for us not to do so great against the Oilers and for us to do amazing against the Canucks or at least build off of our success with the Oilers, which didn't end up happening, which sucks. But there's a lot of good things to be taken from this week. There's also a lot of concerns that I pointed out from this week. Not saying that you know, the Leafs are gonna do what Montreal did or anything, but still in first place, still got that seven-point cushion. We're still okay right now. No need to panic. It's the first time we have lost two in a row at all this season, and the fact that everyone is complaining that we lost two in a row, that just speaks to how good we have had it since the beginning of the season because, you know, it shows we're complaining about this. Other teams are complaining that they've barely won a game in the last two weeks and we're complaining because they lost two in a row. So we have been spoiled. I think we were due for a loss or two. So the beginning of the week, um, Campbell played Saturday against the Oilers and he was hurt again. So we have not seen him yet. Hutchinson played on Monday. He played very well actually and I talked about him a lot last week. He's been put in a tough situation but he has held his ground and he has done a lot for the team. He also played on Thursday because it was a back-to-back. Freddie played on Wednesday and on Saturday. Matthews came back on Monday as well. Nylander also took off practice on Tuesday because of some discomfort he was having. He didn't miss the next game though, he just took the day off of practice. And again, so many players playing through injuries and it worries me because we're starting to notice. We're starting to notice with Nylander, we're starting to notice with Matthews especially. And we're kind of starting to notice with Freddie and Campbell as well. And Thornton, not to mention. So that worries me because they need to all take it easy because we need every single one of them. Defense was also a huge story this week. Not so much, like I said, on Thursday and Saturday, but the way that they played on Monday and Wednesday really showed the defensive ability that we have. And, you know, it sucks that it's not consistent, that consistency has always been a problem of ours. But these two games defensively were absolutely amazing. And if only it was consistent, that would be amazing. We're going to talk about the the defense and what they did through the games. But big story was Brody and Bogosian. They did an amazing job of keeping Edmonton's top players off, especially McDavid and Dreisaitl and all of them. And this wasn't only by the defense players it was also by the forwards that were coming back and helping out a lot so we're gonna we're gonna look at that first game was monday against the oilers we won three nothing they were the same lines as saturday sorry earlier i said matthews came back on monday he actually came back on wednesday so same lines as saturday thornton Tavares, marner bear banov kerfoot nylander again still a little iffy on the bear banov there makayev engvall and hyman love this line and then patan boyd and spezza also love that line, but with VC instead. So our goals came from Hyman, Nylander, and Riley. We had three goals and 10 shots in the first period. The rest of the game went scoreless on both sides, but three goals and 10 shots, it's pretty amazing. Again, quality over quantity. And we also got a power play goal. The Riley goal was a power play goal. We have been a little iffy on the power play recently, and I will be talking about that as well. It's one of the concerns that I saw. But we were able to walk away with power play goal here, which was good. Some things I noticed from this game, third line has been insane this week. And apparently now they're being referred to as the meh line, Mikhaev, Engvall, Hyman, which see if that catches on. Defensively, again, stepping up big, both the defensive players and the forward players, amazing. Hutchinson, again, did amazing for us. He made 30 saves in this game. He was great. Really gave us a chance to walk away with the win. And even when we went up 3-0, he still you know, stood on his head to prevent uh, collapse. Nylander had a big game this Monday. He had one goal, one assist, and all around he just played really strong. Even away from the, his play away from the puck was really smart and really strong as well. Riley also had a good game, goal, and an assist. One of the positive things I noticed was the physicality. We are becoming a lot more physical defensively by actually hitting to get the puck back instead of just checking with our sticks. But also offensively, you know, when the puck goes in the corner, we see a lot more intensity and physicality going up against the boards and getting the puck out to get a cycle going. And oftentimes it has led to a goal for us. And the big thing for me with the physicality and the increased intensity from the Leafs and the use of their toughness and a lot of the players like Bogosian starting to use their size 
it's good to see them standing up for themselves and standing up for their teammates and showing that they're not the same team as they were in the past, even from the beginning of the season. You know, they weren't very physical at the beginning of the season. That was one of the things that I noticed. And now, you know, they're showing like you can't push us around. We're not here to be pushed around. We're going to be sticking up for ourselves, for our teammates, for our goalie, especially. And that's that's a big thing because moving forward, when we play the Oilers again, you know, they're going to know that using their toughness is not going to be considered to be the advantage that it once was at the beginning of the season. And that is huge because in the past, a lot of teams have realized that the Leafs don't normally use their toughness they don't make hits and if we hit them they're not going to fight back that was the reputation that the team had before and it's really good to see that we are actually now building on that reputation and showing teams that you're going to hit us we're going to hit you back and we're not going to they don't dial up the intensity or the physicality unless the other team starts first which that still needs to be adjusted because it is definitely important for us to be the first team to start throwing hits and being more physical but it's a good first step to see that you know they're standing up for themselves they're they're getting the puck back using using their using hits and using their bodies instead of their sticks and that's a really big positive to be taken from this week so that was that game pretty good overall nothing really negative from that game again the second game was Wednesday against the Oilers once again Matthews and Freddie were back so at full strength minus Simmons of course the lines reverted back to normal so we had Thornton Matthews and Marner Nylander Tavares and Kerfoot Mikhaev Engvall and Hyman and then VC was back in with Boyd and Spezza these line combos have been my favorite since Simmons left the chemistry on all these lines is undeniable that third line is explosive before this week, the first line had amazing chemistry as well, and it was, wasn't until Matthews came back that the first line did not actually perform well at all. Uh, they didn't really contribute at all this week to any of the offense or defense, mind you. The second line with Nylander, Tavares, and Kerfoot, Kerfoot has been able to force Nylander and Tavares to step it up. And I'm, I'm actually I'm surprised partly because... I'm surprised that Hyman wasn't able to do that, but putting Kerfoot there, you know, Nylander and Tavares' game have both stepped up massively. And the fourth line, the fourth line, they have become a strong offensive presence. Normally, the fourth line is just your tough line, your your strong line to just get out there and throw a couple hits, get the puck out of your zone and whatnot. But this fourth line has actually become an offensive line and defensive. They're pretty good defensively too, but they had they contributed a lot this week specifically VC in terms of providing offense and they spend a lot of time in that offensive zone I mean aside from the forward lines we all know the defensive pairings this week they have been so helpful defensively and offensively they've contributed to every aspect of the game and from from talking about the lines like that this game was even though it wasn't a shutout which sucks because Campbell and Hutch both got shutouts against the Oilers it would have been nice to get Freddie one here but this game was probably the strongest all-around game full 60 minute game we never let up we looked so dominant we are just running over the oilers it was a slow start to the game we got a lot of icings we couldn't get the puck out for the first few minutes then we got our feet back so the goals we had came from vc vc got two actually Tavares got a power play goal makayev got a goal nylander got a goal and hyman got a goal as well the hyman goal actually but I was waiting for that because previously Smith had been giving him a hard time all night and he had punched Hyman in the head, got a penalty for it and all of that. So getting Hyman to score after that happened, that was that was a good one. He, Him and Spezza actually had smiles on their faces after that one. In the, in the second period, out of those goals, we had three of them happen in four minutes and those offensive spurts are just so exciting to watch. The highlight of the game, I think you will all agree with me, was Mikhaev beating McDavid in a foot race for the puck. It was This is great, good, great, good, awesome for Mikhaev and making his presence known not only for the Leafs and on the Leafs as a team, but making his presence known around the league and in the NHL, doing things like this and being able to show off his talent against the fastest skater in the league, against McDavid, it, it was it was cool to see. And I know a lot of Leafs fans kind of blew it out of proportion, but it was it's big for him, especially because we know he hasn't he hasn't really had the season that he's wanted in terms of getting the points that he could have had all those times this season, but Regardless, I know we blew it out of proportion as Leafs fans because, I mean, it was against McDavid, so why not? Another huge story of the game was Brody. 
he saved so many goals in this game. He must have must have been four or five goals in just this game that he saved just from being in the right place at the right time in front of the net, but also on odd man rushes, he has this amazing ability to get in the way and stop those rushes. And I think his his move has become a trademark of his where he slides and then he throws his stick around to make sure that he gets the puck or hits the guy's stick if if he misses it when he slides. And he used that move a lot tonight and it worked every single time that he used it. And it's stuff like that that make people say that he's the perfect pair for an offensively oriented Riley because you know you have someone with Brody's capability. So we were talking a lot before the season about how Dubas finally found the perfect complement to Riley's offensive play and that's exactly what we saw this week. This week, if anything, he showed that the most. That, you know, Riley can go ahead and pinch in and if someone is unable to get back and cover, not gonna it's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous play still because someone should be able to get back and cover for Riley so these odd man rushes don't happen because we can't rely on Brody to be standing up for us every single time that that happens. But it's good to know that for Riley when he pinches in, he has that player that is able to get back and he's able to make a very decent attempt at stopping that puck from getting on net and stopping that puck from going in the net. Another good thing this game, we had all line scoring. It's actually surprising, well, minus the first line. I was going to say it's actually surprising that the first line was the only line that did not score. And again, pointing out the obvious, it means depth. We're not a one-line team. We're not a two-line team. We are a four-line team. And we do not have to rely on those few guys, those three, four guys to score. You know, Matthews and Marner were held off a score sheet and we were still able to net six goals. And lastly, also aside from the goal uh, for Tavares, he he had a really good night as well. He was really dominant in, in the face-off circle. So that's that was also a good game for him. Coming up next, I will be talking about the second half of the week, the games or the series against the Canucks and how it did not turn out the way people thought it would, which is okay. But stay tuned for that coming up next. All right, so the second half of the road trip we know ended with two straight losses against the Canucks. The first game, we lost three to one. The only lineup change was, sorry, two lineup changes. One, Patan was in and Boyd was out, and the second, Hutchinson was in net. First off with Patan. I don't like this move. I'm not 100% sure why Keefe decided to scratch Boyd. Could have been because he needed the rest. Maybe he was in discomfort from the previous game. Something happened, wanted to take the night off. If that's the case, then okay, that makes sense. But assuming that that wasn't the case, I mean, I know VC had scored two goals in Wednesday's game, so I understand why Keefe would want to keep him in and then choose to scratch Boyd because obviously if if a guy's hot right now and he's on a streak, you want to keep him in, that makes sense. And then also there's the fact that it was a back-to-back. So in back-to-backs, it's a good opportunity to get a guy in from the taxi squad. And and again, it was against Vancouver. So it's possible that expectations were a little bit lower um, in terms of how Vancouver was going to play rather than if they were playing someone like the Oilers or the Jets. But I really wish that he just kept the lines the same. And then the other change, like I said, Hutchinson was in net. He didn't play the best this game. I do feel like we have to cut him some slack though because he's been put under a lot of pressure recently. He hasn't been put in the easiest situations with both of our goal, uh, both of our goalies out, our number one goalie and our backup goalie. He has done what he can for us. And I think this this game and Saturday's game, it was more so the team in front that wasn't playing well than it was the goalie or goalies, I should say. So the only goal from this game came from Engvall. Other than that, the game was pretty average on our part. Like, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't our best, and it definitely was nowhere near the way we played against the Oilers. But the shots were still there. We had around 30 shots, and they were there in quality too. So it wasn't just like we were throwing the puck at the net 30 shots. It was we were throwing 30 quality shots at the net, and we just could not get them in it was another one of those games like the one we saw last week against the flames where nothing was bouncing our way the puck was not going in the net no matter what we did another thing that's super important 
which is what one of the things that I want to talk about in length is the power play. Something has been wrong with our power play recently. The structure of the power play has changed and it changed when Matthews got back. So when he was out with his wrist injury, that's when we got the power play goal, which is on Monday. That came from Riley. But ever since Matthews, ever since we you know, found out about his wrist injury and whatnot, the power play structure has changed and Matthews' position on the power play has changed. He is no longer on the faceoff dot waiting for the pass and taking that shot and that worries me. I take it as a sign to me that he's not 100% yet and that they don't want him taking those shots because of his wrist and because he's not 100%. And if that's the case, he should not be playing yet. As I've said last week, if there are injuries, this is the time to take care of them. You know, while we have a cushion in the standings and while we're still a ways away from the playoffs where we just made it half uh, past the halfway mark of the season, we do not want his wrist injury getting worse. And if it's going to be in the games like it was on Wednesday against the Oilers and then Thursday and Saturday against the Canucks, the first line's not doing anything anyway. So putting Matthews in to play these games where he's not contributing anything anyway, it's it's useless for him to be there. It's useless for him to be there because if he's not able to take a shot, which is one of the things that we love most about him, if he's not able to take those shots and get those goals, then I would much rather have him sitting out and making sure that he is 100% and making sure that he will be able to take those shots once the playoffs come, which is when we're really going to need them, sit out. If you're not contributing anyway, what's what's the point of having him in there? It's just going to make it worse. And we know, especially from this past week, especially from Monday, uh, sorry, Wednesday's game, we can score goals without our top line. Without our top line even hitting the score sheet, we can score goals. So we're fine in that department. Having said that though, if Matthews is going to stay in the lineup and if they think that he's okay to play... The power play needs to go back to the way it was with him at the faceoff dot. Or they need to find someone with somewhat of a similar shot ability to take his spot there because right now that spot is left relatively empty and it's sacrificing quality opportunity for us to score on the power play because we know that play works 9 out of 10 times when Matthews takes that shot and it doesn't matter if it's predictable or not because teams can't stop it. They can try but they can't stop it. And we know that because we've seen it. You know, he if Matthews is out there, he needs to be shooting, not passing, bottom line. And if he can't do that, that means he's not ready to return. And he needs to take this time to make sure he's 100%. Our power play used to be one of our strongest structures of play as a team. And in games like this where we are down and the game is tight, these opportunities need to be capitalized on. We can't risk sacrificing them. I mean, the power plays that we got in that we got in this game, had we scored on them like we normally do, the game would have been a totally different story. But Matthews wasn't taking shots. Matthews is now passing to other people to take shots, which makes no sense. Something needs to be done there moving forward because those are quality opportunities that we are just giving up and that we're just throwing away because it's clearly not working. If Keefe continues to try and force that new power play structure to work, it's going to be to our detriment because it clearly is not going to work and we need to revert back to the original and Matthews just needs to get 100%. That's the bottom line of this story. Overall though, the team in general was showing a lot of fatigue, but I mean you also have to consider circumstances. They played on Saturday, then they played on Monday, then they played on Wednesday, then they had this back-to-back. They held it together pretty well. I mean for the first couple periods they were holding it together. They were still in the game. Obviously they weren't playing how we thought they were going to play against a team like the Canucks, but they were holding it together, and then it was that third period where the fatigue really got to them. I mean, playing four games in six days, and then the back-to-back. The back-to-back was with travel from Edmonton the previous night. So all things considered, I mean, does some slack have to be given here? Possibly. I'm not trying to make excuses with, you know, the number of games they've played and whatnot, but again, you have to consider the circumstances. Could they have played better? Yeah, 100%. Could they have also played better in the next game on Saturday where we lost 4-2? to two? Yes, 100%. This game, we saw Boyd coming back in. Freddie was also in. Defense was weak this game. Offense was also weak this game. We had a high number of shots again. There were about 40 of them. But it was opposite of the previous game. So the previous game, we had 30 shots, all of qual- high quality. This game, we had 40 shots, 
but they were of not the best quality. It was more like they were just trying to throw the puck at the net and shooting right at the goalie and just trying to get the puck on the net, get rebounds and see what happens. It wasn't really like quality shots, making nice plays. We did, another thing I noticed, we had a lot of trouble getting out of our zone. Normally we can do it very quickly, very easily. This game, there are a lot of bumps and a lot of errors and a lot of giveaways that were made. And I know a lot of people noticed again, this top line not clicking. And when Matthews and Marner are not clicking with each other, which is rare, but when they're not clicking with each other, they try to become too fancy to try and get those passes to one another. They need to start realizing that when they're not clicking and if they're not clicking with one another on the ice, they need to resort back to basics and just build off of that from there. Because if they jump right into trying to make those cool and skillful plays that we know they can all make because we've seen it before if they resort right to that it's game over because if they have no chemistry to begin with those passes there's no way those passes are going to be made our two goals though came from Tavares and BC uh good that Tavares got a he got a five on five goal doesn't have very many of those and Freddie again Freddie was really keeping us in this game and I know the score doesn't look like it because it was four to two but three of the four goals were not his fault they were tips or he was screened or you know defensive collapse and whatnot the fourth goal was his fault he should have had it but people can't be harping on that one goal as being the reason why we lost the game vancouver had 30 shots and they were quality chances they were getting good looks all game freddie kept them in that game until the fourth goal but before then, he was standing on his head. He was giving the Leafs a real chance to come out of it with a win. Aside from those four goals, all the other shots that Vancouver had, almost all of them were very high quality shots. Freddie was keeping them in this game. If there were like 15 to 20 shots against and Freddie let that one bad one in, then okay, I I would agree with you. You know, it's his fault. He should have should have had that, didn't face that many shots anyway. But he faced 30 shots and he let one bad one in. And people are going to rebut with the argument that goalies should be able to save games. And I agree. I full well agree. I don't think this game was savable, though. Even if Freddie had made that save, I don't think there was any way the Leafs were going to come out of that game with a win. You know, based on the way that they were playing all game and based on the way they played Thursday and the way that they were playing this Saturday, I don't think it was a savable game. So even if he had made that save, it wouldn't have really meant anything is what I'm trying to say. So don't go picking on him for letting in that one goal when the whole team was able was unable to capitalize on the chances Freddie was giving them all night. That's that's the bottom line there. And if you look at Demko, it proves my case. He was doing the same for his team. He made he made 30, 40 shots, whatever it was. Or sorry, he faced 30, 40 shots, made those saves all game. But the difference was the team in front. The team in front was able to capitalize on all of the chances that Demko was giving them. We were not able to. That was the difference in this game. It was the, the team in front of the goalie, not the goalie himself. People though, they, they need to relax and they shouldn't take this too seriously. Should we have had these games? Yeah, we we definitely probably should have had these games. If anything, maybe just the Saturday game, the Thursday game, understandable why that one was lost, but the Saturday game, I definitely think we should have had that one, especially after how we played against the Oilers. But are we having a record-breaking season? Yes. Are we still in first place? Yes. Let's let's just relax. Let's just hope it doesn't move further and realize that we have been spoiled since the beginning of the season, considering this is the first two consecutive losses that the Leafs have had. Anyway, so that was the recap from this past week of all the games. Definitely did not end the way that Leafs fans thought it was going to end, but nonetheless, that's what happened. Coming up next, everyone's favorite part of the episode. We are going to be taking a break from tone as I welcome two special guests to help me talk about some topics. Stay tuned. Okay, it is now everyone's favorite part of the episode. It is time to take a break from tone. And here with me today, I have a recurring guest, Emilio, and also a brand new guest to the show, Vince. Hello. Hi. Okay, so today we are going to have a discussion on two topics. One is the criticism that the North Division has been facing recently, 
and also on the recent trade rumors that we have heard about the Leafs because I've talked about that a lot, so I think everyone now wants to hear someone else's opinion for a change. So first, the criticism of the North Division. At the beginning of the season, everyone was saying that the North Division was going to be amazing and that they were going to be carrying the rest of the league, and now everyone is saying that the North Division is too easy and it is boring compared to the other divisions in the league. My question is, is it a coincidence that people started saying those things once the Leafs took their lead in first place and once Montreal started slipping? And do you agree that the North Division is now too easy compared to others? So my thought is, all along I was at the beginning saying that this division was easy and the Leafs were doing well as a result of that. I I really think that once they start playing some of the stronger teams outside their division, they will not be prepared. So I, I, I actually think the, the division is too easy, and uh, the Leafs are going to struggle as a result of that in the playoffs. But even if it wasn't the Leafs and if, if it was like Montreal well, or Winnipeg? Yeah, whichever team comes out of this division, I don't think they're, they will be prepared enough for the playoffs. Okay. Emilio? Wrong. I think... Um, the North Division is the one of the best because of the recent success that all the teams had last year. Last year, only Ottawa didn't make it to the playoffs. Every other team in the North Division did. And in the other leagues, at least two teams from each division didn't make the playoffs last year. Yeah, uh, I would say it seems that the North Division is easier compared to others just because... I think it's because of how easily the Leafs have been able to win against most of the teams and that it does seem kind of boring because almost every game that every team goes into in the North Division, you can kind of predict what it's going to be like. But also saying that, what about things like uh, Montreal against Ottawa? Montreal, we know they lost a few against Ottawa that led to their coach being fired and then also... I believe it was Calgary that lost a few against Ottawa and then it led to their coach being fired. So, see, and the Leafs have lost against Ottawa, recently lost against the Canucks. So isn't it also fair to say that it's still a tight division because, you know, it's it's almost a toss-up. Every, every matchup that you have every night, you know, Ottawa versus the Leafs, you would expect the Leafs to win, but that doesn't always happen. So isn't it still that it's not too easy? It's still a toss-up regardless of... Yeah, so I'd say it is a tight division, but that goes with the quality of the teams in, the, in that division. It's tight because the, I don't think the quality is as good as other divisions. You look at other divisions, or you look at, at the North Division, none of the teams in the North Division have had any, any recent playoff success. Vancouver. Well, that was what, five years ago? Last year they went to the conference finals. They did? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> Last year they went to the or conference. the one before the conference finals. Yeah, oh. but they've they've oh. blown up that team since then. The, the team is nothing. It resembles nothing to that that team. So there's there's no teams in there that have had play, proven playoff success, and that's why I think that division is the division is way too easy. It, there's just nobody in there. You put a Tampa in that division, a Boston in that division. I don't think the, any any of these teams can play with them on a on a night to night basis. What'd you say? They'd get destroyed. <laughs> Which okay. who would get destroyed? The Boston fans. <laughs> I don't think so. Come on, man. Okay, so then it's fair to say that the the North Division is tight and it's not easy within itself. But when you extend and compare it to other divisions, then it's a different story and it is. That, that's my opinion, and I said it when they set up this division at the beginning of the season, that that was my opinion back then, and I haven't changed my opinion at all. Even though you know, Leaf, the Leafs have had uh, some, some relatively good success. Okay, so then the part where people have been, people have not been able to make up their mind. Like, they started the season saying that everyone was, sorry, saying that the North Division was going to be the hardest and whatnot, and now coincidentally when the Leafs build their cushion people are saying that it's now the easiest division what do you think about so it depends on what they meant by it's going to be the hardest do they mean it's going to be the hardest because 
you know, the, the teams are so close that it's going to be a, a tight race. That I still agree with. I think there is going to be a tight race in, in here. Like we, we just saw the Leafs drop two games. Um, so the other teams, Winnipeg is on their heels. Yeah, okay, they, they won three against Edmonton, but Edmonton's going to rebound. They're going to be on their heels. Like I think it's going to be a, a tight race between the top three teams. And I don't think it'll be diff. Uh, sorry, I don't think it'll be easy to get out of this division. It is going to be tough. Uh, so it, I think it is still a tough division to to win. But I, I, but compared to others, I I don't think they stack up. Yeah. So it was people saying that the uh, the North Division was going to be carrying the rest of the league. Like the top half yeah, of the that, standings was going to be all North Division teams, and now everyone's saying like the exact opposite. Basically, um, what do you think? of people changing their minds like do you do you think that it's that people aren't changing their minds because it's the Leafs and we know that people always make excuses for the Leafs like even if the Leafs were to win the cup this season for example just using it as an example if they were to walk away with the cup people would be making excuses saying oh it's because it was only 56 games or whatever and because it was an off season and they got off easy because they're in the north division and blah 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 like do you agree with people assuming that and changing their opinion just because of the Leafs now being at the top? Yeah. Like, do you think if Montreal or Edmonton were at the top instead, do you think people would still be saying the North Division is now easy? No, because people can't accept that the Leafs have a good team, and they don't see the games that some of them are actually close. Half of the Leafs' wins were one-goal games. They just see that they're... 10 points ahead in the standings of everyone else Mm -hmm. yeah okay so final thoughts on that topic uh it's just that my final thoughts is that you can't count anyone out in this division like we have said it's going to be a tight race within but then once teams get out of the north division it is going to be a free-for-all and it will be interesting to watch so next topic i'm going to try to speak as little about this as possible myself and leave it all to you guys because i've talked about this like four weeks in a row Basically, there's been a bunch of trade rumors that have been going around involving the Leafs and that Dubas wants to get a top six forward by the trade deadline. Technically, it would have to be well before the trade deadline if they want the player in because of the quarantine, if it's from an American team. So some of the ones were Sam Bennett from the Flames, Lindholm from the Flames, Forsberg from Nashville, and more recently from this week, Taylor Hall from the Sabres has surfaced as a potential. I'm just going to give a quick quick recap and you guys can take your turns talking about it. They're all forwards, most likely going to have to give up someone like Nylander and possibly a defenseman. We know we're short on defensemen and if you were to give up one of the ones that we have right now, we would not have as much depth as we want there since we already know that we don't. And Nylander has his moments. Again, obviously he's not consistent, but he does have his moments like this past week. So do you think getting rid of any of those guys is worth it and if so what trade would you accept and who would you be willing to give up so I, I don't think it's worth it at all i think it's a huge mistake to go out and get another four this this team is uh, forward heavy we've got some good offensive talent on this team if we can't win with this offensive talent we've got issues and and we do actually have issues the issues are still on the back end and i think kyle dubis or dumbass depending on how you want to say it is an idiot for trying to go out and get another forward we have defensive problems we have defensive issues you look at the past two games against vancouver they did not play well defensively they gave up some easy goals yes it was they were still close games but they gave up easy goals against one of the bottom feeder teams and it caused issues It, it exposed them again they did have some success against Edmonton and against Edmonton they actually proved if you play defensively you can actually win games and in the playoffs there's nothing more important than defense your your number one priority in the playoffs should be stop the goals first and then your second priority should be scoring goals so going out after and trying to get another forward uh, I think is a mistake if he does not think he can win with these forwards that he has there, there's an issue there because they've, they've got some good forward talent. Nylander is, is Nylander, but he is a good forward, and you're going to replace him with another forward that is going to produce just as much offensively as he does. So mm. what's the point? Okay, if you're, if you're looking to, to 
clear up some cap space, that's one thing. So I don't know what what's behind yeah, but his the plan. The players that he's looking at don't look like they're going to clear up cap okay, space. Okay, well then I think it, I think it's a mistake. You're just swapping one for another, and I I don't think that is going to fix any of the issues that they currently have. If they can't get Tavares going with Nylander, I don't think another forward is going to change that. Yeah. What do you think? Mm, a bit of both. Can you expand? <laughs> Nylander's inconsistent, but really, it's all, if they want to make the trade, it's dependent on if this is a year where they're just going for it, and then, because half the players on their team right now are on one-year contracts, mm -hmm. so... If they're just planning on going for it this year and then kind of rebuilding next year, then some of these players wouldn't be that bad. Taylor Hall doesn't is not doing too good this season, but look at the team he's on. Matthews has more goals than the whole team. <laughs> so I'd say. Like, do you yeah, think? Do you think that bringing in a Taylor Hall or whomever is gonna actually make that team? significantly better like than do you think it's gonna work? make do you think it's gonna make a big difference than what we already have i think I mean, if i think if anything think it, it would make it worse because if you'd have to give up a defender then you're yeah. strengthening the position of forwards that or the offensive side which is already strong and you're weakening the and, defensive uh, side which is already weak so yeah, that i i agree i think it's a mistake and then the other thing is uh what does that do to the culture of the team Right, yeah, so but it depends which defenseman they're giving up. If they're planning Dur on already trading Dermot, then well, they just bring up Sandin or Lilligren. Yeah, but they don't have Sand Sandin or, or Lilligren don't have the experience that Dermot has. Okay, Dermot is I he's not a, a top four defenseman, but at least he's got NHL experience. He has playoff experience too. Doesn't yeah, he? but yeah. the only way to get those other players' experience is by playing them. Yeah, but if they don't have to be played right, like if they're making a serious push, like for the cup or yeah. to go deep in the playoffs, then putting in someone like Sandin or Liljegren for the first time in the playoffs, yeah. like I feel I like that's if there's injuries, they they need them to backfill injuries. Absolutely. If they weren't making a serious push this year and it was just like another whatever yeah. year, then I would agree. I would say yeah, you can just put in those two, but yeah. Now, if he was to trade um, uh, Nylander for a solid defenseman like a top four another top four defenseman i'd do that trade in a minute yeah um i don't think there's any and then you've got some forwards that you can oh. bring up you've got kolchenyak that you just brought in you, the taxi squad there's some good players on there they've proven that they can they can play with this team and contribute so i i think that um like i said before defense first you build from from your goalie out so you you should have a strong goalie then you should have a strong defense and then comes your offense so um i i trade nylander for a top four defenseman uh any day yeah. i'd say uh nylander and lilligren for svechnikov <laughs> <laughs> uh, i also like that what you said before um about the culture so what i mentioned previously is that they spent there were a lot of, I think half of, almost half the team is new, new guys from this past off season. And they spent, they had a very short training camp. So they spent a lot of time trying to get these guys to work together. And they've done that a lot. Like they've done that very, very well. So after all that being, after putting in all that work to try and get these guys going with good chemistry and everything, like I, I feel like it's it wouldn't be worth it to like rip one of them out, especially someone like Nylander. He's they've all the guys have said that he's a big part in the locker room and he's he's a big a big presence in the locker room and everything so ripping out someone like that and putting in someone brand new that you, none of them have ever played with before i feel like that would also do more harm than good and not a lot of people talk about things like culture and they don't see it as having as big of an impact but especially on a team like the Leafs with everything that they've been through in the past having that positive atmosphere and culture is a big factor yeah, they seem to be having fun on the ice, especially when they obviously have more fun when you win, but they seem to be having fun on the ice. They seem to get along well together. I mean, Tavares always looks miserable, but I think he's like that with, you know, no matter who he's playing with, he's he's a serious player and, mm -hmm. you know, versus you look at like a Matthews, a Nylander, a Marner, they're younger, they're looking, they're trying to have fun out there. 
Nylander, uh, sorry, um, Tavares seems, you know, he's all business and hardly ever smiles. Uh, and he's just, uh, but I, I don't think that's a, a function of, He's he just wants he wants to win and, and he's serious about what he wants to do. Uh, even look at uh, Jumbo. Jumbo seems to be having fun out there with uh, uh, with Marner and uh, and Matthews. So I think the culture is there. I think you may upset Tavares by uh, taking another forward. You know he was playing with Marner last year and now you're going to take Nylander away from him. I think he you know what does that do to him? It, obviously it's going to depend on who you replace him with, but. Um, yeah, but it's not like Nylander and Tavares are doing good with each other right now. Yeah, but well, Tavares is still what just just under a point point a game. He's still like okay, the goals yeah, aren't there, but he's getting he's getting points. This like, past week, they've done a lot better together too. Yeah, that's, that's because Nylander is one on one of his streaks. As soon as he starts yeah. going cold again, he's cold again. But Tavares, I mean, everyone's beaten up on Tavares. Yes, the goals aren't there. You would expect him to have a lot more goals, but. Um, I didn't look at his points lately, but he's, you know, maybe just under a point a game, you know, uh, you know, if, if it was a full season and if he's getting 75 to 80 points playing on the second line, I think that's pretty good. Um, uh, that's some, that's good production coming out of, out of your second line, your second line center. Uh, so I think that that's good. Is he upset? Maybe because he's not the first line center, perhaps, but I think in his mind, uh, uh, not that I can read his mind, but I bet you the the number one priority on his mind is I'll do what it takes to win a cup. If I'm second line center, that that's where I am. Yeah. So I and looking at the guys that they have, I think they're all on the older, like not old, but I'm pretty sure they're all above 25. So taking someone, Nylander's 20, I don't know, maybe 23 or 24, taking out a young guy, putting in. What? He's older than that. Is, is he? Oh, well, regardless, I, I, I feel like taking someone like that out and putting in a more mature player is going to do the opposite. And the older guys like Spezza and Thornton, too, like you were saying, they like playing with the younger guys as well. They seem to be having fun. Spezza's always out there with a smile on his face. You know, the team yeah. jokes with him. Um, so I think they're having fun. Spetsnikov's yeah. younger. <laughs> Stop. You um, just want to see the goal from behind the net with the puck because no, Matthews he, can't do it. He's a better player. <laughs> he's a better player than Nylander, <laughs> especially for setting up Tavares. Yeah, I think we need defense. Okay, so bottom line, I was right based on what I've been saying the past four weeks that we should try and keep the team we have and try and push with that team because if we can't go far with the team that we have now, then there's something else that is wrong in the organization whether it be our the management or so there's something else in there that's wrong if they can't find a way to win with all the players and the salary that they have on the team now okay so last thing really quickly we are going to introduce the player of the week which is tj brody say with a little more enthusiasm I, I, is it really tj brody i was going yeah. back and forth between brody and um uh bogosian you, you look at the, the games against Edmonton, Bogosian shut down McDavid. He played a lot of hard minutes against McDavid. He played really well. Uh, Brody actually did well as well. He, a lot of, not breakaways, but chances that he broke up with guys skating fast down the ice. So he did really well there. So the, I, they both deserve it. I, I, I was going to give the edge to Brody as, as well. Um, you know, he plays with uh, Riley, who takes a lot of chances. Uh, and you need a good, I'll call it stay-at-home, solid defenseman when you've got another defenseman that you know is going to go offensively into the rush. So I think he deserves it based on, on uh, his play the past week. Yeah, so just a couple stats on him. So he had two assists uh, this week. He was a plus two, and he had 13 block shots, and his average time on ice was 21 minutes. So his time on ice was second only to Riley, who had 23, which makes sense because they're partners. And then his 13 block shots was the most out of all defenders by a pretty large margin. The next was Hall, who had eight. So it's a, a gap of five there. And all those, I'm assuming all of those uh, extra block shots came from, like you said, the odd man rushes. He, he saved like four, four or five goals a game I would argue 
And even though the Vancouver series was one that we want to forget, he was the best defender on the ice for the Leafs this entire week. And it might not show on the score sheet, but, you know, defenders don't really show their skill on the score sheet. If even, like, they get a couple goals and one. Like, Riley, for example, his skill would show on the score sheet because he scores goals. But someone like Brody's a more defensive defenseman. So that's why, you know, you might not see, like, you say, okay, he got two points this week. That's not too great. But looking at what he did on the ice, like, you actually have to watch the games to be able to recognize players like him. So that is why Brody was our player of the week, and I will be giving an honorable mention to Bogosian as well, which you will hear in the next segment. So I just want to say thank you to my two guests for coming on this week. You're very welcome. Ciao. And next week I will have maybe some new guests, maybe some recurring guests. We'll see what happens. I hope you enjoyed this break from Tone. Coming up next, I will be going over the main takeaways from this last week of Maple Leafs Hockey. Stay tuned. Okay, so it has come to that point in the episode where I will be going through the main takeaways from this past week. There's quite a few. So the first one is starting with the goalie situation for the Leafs and how it's basically, the Leafs are basically in goalie heaven right now. The way that the team is looking. Backup goalies this season are 6-2-0. They were around 7-12-0 last season. Against the Oilers this week, Campbell had a shutout, 30 saves. Hutch had a shutout, 31 saves, and Anderson did not get the shutout, but he did have 26 saves. Now, against the Canucks, obviously it was not as impressive considering the losses, but they still each faced around 30 shots a game, 30-40 shots a game, and gave the team a solid, solid opportunity to stay in the game and win the game. So, I mean, I don't think the Leafs have ever had a goalie situation as good as this one. I mean, we've had like Reimer and Bernier before and whatnot, but I definitely think that this goalie situation is the best that the Leafs have been able to see in a really long time. And we are going to eventually come to a point where one of them is going to have to go, either Freddie or Campbell. Hopefully that's not soon, but I mean, looking at someone like Campbell, if he's doing as good as he is, he could easily be a starter on another team. So it will come to a point where we're going to have to choose one of them. But I think right now, we should all just be thankful for the goalie situation that we have and the fact that we can have both of our starting goalies out and still have a decent goalie in our net. Second main takeaway, the third line, the meh line. That line has been unreal. The speed, the skill, the scoring ability too. That's really good to see, especially after so long trying to get this line working. You know, before it... The line had speed and skill, but adding Hyman has definitely added that shooting ability that we have been waiting to see and scoring ability that we've been waiting to see from this line. They are just so offensive, but also so defensive. This line is, it's a powerhouse. It's a really good line to have. And again, offensively, you know, we know that they have been generating score a lot of scoring chances, spending a lot of time in the offensive zone. But defensively, they've been amazing too. And with the speed that they have, they have the ability to get back and outskate guys and hold them to the outside and keep them away from the net. It's really easy for them to use their speed in that way and to outskate other guys, which we've seen a lot this week. And in particular from this week, a lot of people really noticed, they started noticing this line a lot because of the way that they held up against McDavid. They held McDavid off of that score sheet for three games in a row. And we actually got a lot of offensive time with this line against McDavid. Not like not only they, they weren't just able to keep him off the score sheet, but they were also able to keep him out of our zone and limit the chances that he had on our net. I believe that a lot of people were expecting, you know, when you say Hyman's line or the third line's playing against the McDavid line, a lot of people were expecting, you know, he is they're gonna be hemmed in our zone. We're gonna be hemmed in our zone for minutes on end but it was the exact opposite overall some stats on this line from the oilers series the third line outscored the oilers four to one most even strength goals of any line two combined four four goals four assists and a plus five rating they were arguably the best line this week so moving on from that defensive ability i mentioned earlier really proven themselves this week we shut out the oilers for two straight games and only let in one goal in the other game 
this speaks to it definitely speaks to amazing goaltender performance which I touched upon already but also the ability of the players to just keep the puck away from the net and keep it out of our zone the defensemen were able to do all of that while also contributing to goals one goal five assists from our defenders and it wasn't just like I mentioned before it wasn't just the defensemen that were playing amazingly defensively it was our forwards that were coming back like I said the third line and all the other lines that were coming back we were getting the puck back quickly in our zone and getting it out quickly and to the other end of the ice it was just an all-around amazing defensive effort and again sucks that it's not consistent but it would be would be really great if they could develop that that full defensive play a lot more so again going with the amazing play that we've seen the next takeaway is the scoring that we've seen occur on all four lines and we know the first line has has been a bit quiet but all we have seen scoring from all lines these past few games and just looking at the bottom six throughout the Oilers series they totaled for seven goals and 10 assists out of just 13 out of 13 goals that we scored the bottom six forwards the two bottom lines had about half of the goals that we scored in this series Makayev had one, Hyman had three, VC had two, Boyd had two, and Spezza had one. From the Canucks series, the third line had another goal, fourth and second lines as well. Obviously, we didn't really notice it as much as we did in the Edmonton series, but scoring on all four lines, and especially when our top guys are held off the score sheet, it's great to know that we have other people that we can count on to work together and generate offensive time, but also generate goals. Again, like I said, first line, they've been quiet, which is the topic of my next takeaway, takeaway number five. The top line has been of concern lately. Matthews was a minus three this week. Marner was a minus five. He had two assists in the last four games. Thornton was a minus three and he had one assist. Oh boy. These are not the numbers you want to be seeing from your top line. Something is wrong there. I already talked about how Matthews and Marner have been out of sync and I've already talked about how Matthews is possibly still playing with some discomfort with with some sort of wrist injury. I'm wondering now if it if this top line has run their course. Before Matthews was taken out of, of a couple games, the top line was on fire. Is it time now to switch it up? Have they run their course or do they just need to be given a little bit more time? Regardless, I don't know how many chances we can give them because, I mean, the Jets are coming up next and we know they, they're they in second place. They've been doing great themselves. So I don't know how many chances we can give them before a change is made. But at the same time, it's hard because all the other lines are doing so well. Nylander, Nylander and Tavares have even started picking up their pace. So do you want to mess with that now? Because we've been waiting so long for Nylander and Tavares to get going. Now they kind of finally started finding their footing. Splitting them up might do them harm. It's a it's a toss-up. Do you give them more chances? You know, especially like what I just said. Considering that all the other lines are able to score. Do you give them as many chances as they need to find that chemistry once again? And then hope they find it. Because if they do, then we're golden. And again, continuing on the topic of Matthews. I'll try and keep this one short because I've talked about it a lot already the changing power play structure does it have anything to do with Matthews and his potential lingering issue that is the next takeaway I've I've talked a lot about this already and you know basically I just think that power play needs to go back to normal and if it can't because of Matthews and because they don't want Matthews taking that shot then he needs to sit out a couple more games again we can handle it I don't know what else it could be why else would you not want Matthews taking that shot on the power play why else even in in regular and five on five he's not shooting as much as he was before he's not taking the types of shots that he was before he has taken on a passing role something has changed and it needs to change back. And if he's still hurt, he needs to sit out because it's just going to get worse. Because the only thing it's doing now is it's hurting our play rather than helping it. Having him in there, not taking that shot, it's disrupting the flow. It's disrupting the play. And that's definitely not okay. So away from the negatives, on a high note, the next takeaway physicality has been increasing it's becoming more usual in our playing style again I've already talked about this it's not only defensively but it's offensively as well we have been able to win a lot more puck battles 
uh, by players using their bodies instead of their sticks. And also, actually, another thing is in the neutral zone. I've noticed they become a lot tighter and more structured in the neutral zone. And they don't give the other team as much space. It's a much tighter play. And they've been more consistent in that manner in the neutral zone. They made it a lot harder and tougher for the other team to pass by, not giving them as much space, which is also good to see. Next takeaway, probably one of my favorites and probably one of the biggest stories of this week, Riley and Brody, match made in heaven. They are the perfect match. They are the perfect complements for each other. And it's nice to actually finally see someone actually doing what we were told they were going to do for the team before they got here. I know that was a lot of words, but literally a, a perfect comparison of what I'm trying to talk about is David Clarkson, what people thought he was going to do versus what he actually did. TJ Brody, what people thought he thought he was going to do versus what he actually did. Those are the, those are the comparisons I'm, I'm making there. You know, we were told what he was going to do for Riley and he's doing that exact same thing. So those two, perfect match. Last takeaway is an honorable mention towards both Bogosian and VC. Bogosian, we know mainly against the Oilers. He was up against McDavid several times throughout the series, and he did a very successful job standing him up and holding him to the outside. He was a huge presence during those games. VC as well, honorable mention for him because he scored three goals in four games, and a lot of people were counting him out, you know, saying once Simmons gets back, one of them is going to have to go back to the taxi squad. And a lot of people were saying, you know, it's probably going to be VC because he hasn't really done anything. And I think he just proved everyone wrong. And he said, you know, don't count me out. I'm, I'm still here. And that fourth line has been incredible. All of them on that fourth line, which begs the question, you know, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Engvall instead, maybe? But that third line has been doing absolutely incredible. So it's still going to be hard for Keefe to figure that one out. But again, it's a good thing that we're complaining about having too many good players. So those are all the takeaways from this week. There's a lot of a lot of good things that were recognized. Also a lot of concerning things that were recognized after this week. And not just because we had those losses. Even from the, or, uh, the Edmonton games, there were still a lot of concerns that were pointed out of there just based on the way that they were playing. That's what happened this week. And next week, we have three games. We have one on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, all against the Jets, all at 7 p.m. Make sure you tune in. That is all for me this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, if you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, feedback, you can reach out to me on my Instagram, at thathockeychick. I will see you all again next Monday. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Go Leafs go! Once again, my name is Antonia Mendelia, and I'm the hockey chick.